Hello, uh, this is Chris Jansen with the End Evil podcast. I'm here to share um, with folks who are interested in subjects of truth and freedom and true care for those who want to make a difference in the world and are seeking to change some of the dynamics that are keeping us back from freedom. Um, my favorite phrase from the book, The End of All Evil by Jeremy Locke, is evil is the destruction of freedom. And on that note, um, today I have a, a fellow uh, warrior with me, um, Todd, Todd Borno. And he's here to, um, oh, did I pronounce your name wrong, Todd? I'm sorry. It's okay. Did you say your last name? It's, it's, it's Boro. Boro. It's all right. I put yeah. an extra N in there. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no worries. No worries. It's, it's good to be here. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate the invite. Yeah, thanks for coming. And you contacted me, actually. Um, Todd's a, a writer. And he's been working on subjects of freedom and finding a creative way to reach people with his words, which I think is pretty fantastic. So um, he reached out to me and we decided to do an interview show together. How long have you been working on um, writing, Todd? I've been writing for roughly five years. And especially from 2017 to 2019, I was writing very intensely uh, mostly fictional works, and I, I was writing pretty much every day for a few hours every day. I was producing a lot of content because I, I had the time and I had the resources at that time to really focus and dig in. So, but overall, I've been writing for about five years. Is there was there something in particular that inspired you that kind of got you started on on the projects you you started working on? Yeah, actually, there's uh, multi-facets to, to that answer. That's a good question. Uh, number one would probably be uh, Mark Passio was a big motivational factor for me to get out and do the great work to uh, bring a much higher degree of freedom uh, and growth and creation in the world. Uh, that was probably the number one motivating factor. Uh, Me too. Other, <laughs> it, right. Yeah, I've, I've listened to your work. And, yeah, it's uh, – uh, Mark has, you know, had a, had a very good influence on quite a few people, I'm sure. So other factors were that – one reason I started writing uh, fiction is that I noticed kind of in the quote-unquote freedom community – for lack of a better term, that a lot of it is uh, nonfiction, more of a, a news style, uh, very straightforward type of uh, broadcast or content creation. And what I really saw uh, an opportunity for, because I did not see much of, was uh, putting messages of uh, true anarchy and true freedom into a fictional format, which if you want, we can get into uh, reasons and psychological dynamics of why I think that is very essential to uh, progressing forward with uh, getting people to wake up to true freedom in the now and in the future. Yeah, that's a, a great topic and close to my heart too. Um, when I first started trying to do the podcast thing, 
Um, like I was also majorly influenced by Mark Passio and, um, Freeman fly was the first podcast I got into and they were okay. both, um, and there's quite a few other podcasts. I listened to podcasts was really what broke through for me. And, um, I started trying to do this thing I called the, the script show, which was me like playing these songs I'd made up. And, um, it, it lasted for about a year, but my whole goal there was to try to use creativity to reach people. And, um, I used to ha- talk about that a lot, the importance of creativity and imagination and how big that's lacking in the world, right? Like that's one of the things that's been taken from us in many ways. Right. From my point of view. Chris, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, one, uh, type of, uh, creative work that I forgot to mention is music. That's a huge influence in so many people's lives, if not everybody, uh, to a certain degree, one degree or another. And, uh, I think music is also a fantastic way to, to reach people with messages of, of freedom and volunteerism and the, the principles of freedom. And I, I wasn't aware that you, that you had done that. I, I heard, I, yeah, I heard about the script show. I really? saw it on another website and I, have not had a chance to check it out yet. And I didn't it's know it's kind of non-existent was... now. I, I kind of shut okay. the whole thing down right. years ago and it, well, it's... now you have me intrigued because you yeah. mentioned music and now I really want to, <laughs> I really want to dive into it. Because, I still have yeah, the shows enough. all saved somewhere. I'll have to um, archive them somehow on my new website. Or okay. Something. You, you don't have them online anymore? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just sort all of, right. um... yeah, I'd be, I'd be very interested to hear that. So it was kind of music based is, if I understand you correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And I was trying to encourage the whole idea of creativity, you know, and using our imagination. And right. Cause for years I used to just make up songs, um, on my, on my free time and I wasn't very good at it. I wasn't like a professional musician. It was just sort of, so that's why I called it scritch was just making it up as I went along. But ah, anyway, okay. this show is gotcha. not a, so much about me that, um, I just, <laughs> I had to bring that up because it, like I said, it's close to my heart. It, you know, that was kind of what I was thinking in the beginning. Like, look at what they do to us. The, um, dark occultists of this world, the, the programmers, they, they do right. it through music. They do it through media. They do it through the popular media, through yeah. movies, works of fiction, music, books, comic books, the fictional narratives. I'm glad you brought that up that are in the mainstream corporate media, which of course is uh, controlled and owned by the, the dark occult ruling class. Uh, that there are some common threads in those narratives that through repetition and normalization of these narratives, one of which I'll go ahead and say is the belief in human authority which of course we know Chris to be non-existent, to be completely false. Human authority does not exist over another human, but these are themes that are ubiquitous throughout mainstream content. Any Hollywood movie, any New York times bestseller, it's all the same narrative, you know, where the, uh, the, violent gang called government. They're the good guys, right? In all the Hollywood movies, 
and right. they're trying to save everyone's freedom when the exact opposite is the truth. <laughs> the exact opposite. Yeah. Um, authority, human authority does not exist. And, and you and, nailed it with the uh, repetition thing. They just keep right because it's everywhere. It it's again, and it again. really is. And that's one of the main, um, uh, what would you call it, uh, factors or parts of hypnotism. So I'm curious if you've, have you thought any more about the um, psychological, how does it work psychologically when um, people's minds are affected or um, how does media right. affect people? In, in well, I think that through repetition and, you know, it's been a while since I've read up on any psychology I have read Edward Bernays before, but repetition is an important factor to get people accustomed and comfortable with an idea for them to accept it as being normal, mm-hmm. where they're kind of learning uh, through osmosis. They're not really consciously thinking about it. They're just absorbing information. And much like, I mean, it's natural for us to do that in our environment. We are constantly absorbing information. But the thing is, is that if a false narrative is presented over and over, then eventually people come to accept it as being just a part of the normal environment, like anything else in the environment. Oh, uh, water uh, exists. It's normal. The sun exists. It's normal. Oh, government exists. It's normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no, that point, really. that's not normal. What would we do, what would we do without natural. it? You know, that's, right. Yeah. That's so, but, but, but that's the psychology of it. That's part of it. Um, so that's, that's one thing. That's one factor that went into my decision to uh, create content with themes of truth and freedom and volunteerism, principles of freedom, and to not, or at least try to the best of my abilities to not use euphemisms, to use more clear and accurate language when describing something, for example, uh, a cop. Instead of saying a cop, I might say an order follower in a costume. You know, something more accurate and kind of funny, <laughs> you know, it gets people's attention. Mm-hmm. And it's much more, it's much closer to the truth than just calling them a cop or a police officer. You know what I mean? And and words do have an important effect, which words we use, you know, people's mind go right to what they've seen on the media, for instance. So if you present Absolutely. it differently, then there's a possibility for a different way of looking at things. Right. Actually, now that you bring that up, I'm glad you did, Chris, because the first thing that comes to my mind when you say that is the incorrect connotations attached to the word anarchy Mm, in, in the popular media and in the news, because it's always the same. It's always the opposite of the truth in the media. It's presented as being chaos and dangerous and disorderly when that's actually false. We know that true Anarchy just means without rulers and it's very peaceful and it means true freedom. So that's a good example of how things get misrepresented in, not just in 
uh, news narratives, but also in popular fiction as well. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and we're so used to hearing these words over and over in a certain way. When you try to tell someone, no, that's not what that word means. It's like they're right. It kind of boggles their mind. So I think what you're doing is making a lot of sense is just coming at it with a different way of saying things. And, um, let's talk a little bit about what you've written. And so maybe sure. someone who's listening, um, let's give them a picture. Why don't you tell them a little bit about some of the things you've written? And um, sure. your writing style. Okay. So a lot of my fictional writing uh, uses uh, satire and very dark humor. Uh, I have also written a pretty good amount of science fiction. Usually it's a blend of dark satire and science fiction. Um, my most recent work uh, is uh, it's a trilogy of novels and it's called the Evolution Trilogy. And this, in my opinion, is my best work, my most complete work, and my most entertaining work. The reason it's called the Evolution Trilogy is because basically it goes from uh, a, a near future kind of uh, sci-fi dark comedy where very few people on, in society on, on the planet are awake. To voluntarism. And from that point at the beginning of the trilogy, it gradually progresses to where more and more people realize what true freedom is. And more people try to have more personal freedom in their own lives and wake other people up. And eventually it evolves to where uh, the second part of the trilogy is a novel called Sea Agora. So basically, it's a decentralized, uh, voluntary society that's thriving on the ocean. Uh, completely free from, they, they have no, little or no contact with the people on land. And the people on land are still living under the thumb of Big Brother. So there's a lot of contrast there. So there's growth happening. More people are waking up and finding freedom on the ocean. And then eventually, the third part of the trilogy jumps 500 years into the future. And there are basically anarchists from Earth and from all over the galaxy living in a voluntary uh, agora across multiple galaxies. And so the reason I call it the Evolution Trilogy is because it shows the evolution of... Uh, basically humans living in accordance with objective morality and the possibilities that it presents in a, in so many ways, just the amount of freedom and also uh, it can bring a greater amount of prosperity and possibilities for branching out into the stars that's pretty exciting. Um, it's something I've thought a lot about, you know, part of the frustration I get into, like you're talking about, like the word anarchy, when I try to talk to someone about it is I feel like I'm trying to describe something that they have no, um, no concept of, you know, because we've grown up in such a, an, a, a situation of slavery, which 
you know, that's hard for people to hear, but right. that's the way we've lived. Our whole culture is based on this whole authority paradigm, this whole top down. And so you're trying to describe something to people that they've never experienced. And so you're trying to actually paint a picture of what would it be like? How could it happen? And I think it's right. exciting. And, you know, even coming from, I like to think that I have a good imagination and coming from my perspective of knowing what true freedom is, it's even difficult for me to conceptualize how good it could be. <laughs> you know what I mean? We really yeah. don't know yeah. because humanity has held itself back for so long. We don't really know a, where we would be at this point if things had been different in the past. And B, where would we be a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now? It kind of boggles the mind and it's difficult to conceptualize, but I did the best I could. I think I created a plausible and entertaining, uh, possibility. I'm not saying that's how it would look. <laughs> or how it should look. It's yeah. one possibility sure. that I think could happen and could be interesting. And and what I haven't got as much into your writing as I would like to, but what I've read is you have um a good sense of humor. And um you like to make I try to I try funny, to use humor which is cool. a lot. Yeah. May may I ask what you're referring to in particular? Um I read a I read a little an episode of um well, the one I was just reading before we talked was the interview with the psychopath. It was, uh-huh. uh, yeah, yeah. I was that, really that's enjoying one of the that. very first series I started writing. And, uh, yeah, that's a good one. I, I really had fun writing that one. And then I, I got into a little bit of the series, uh, uh, an episode from, um, the character Bong. You're right. James Bong. James right. Bong. <laughs> that's actually the, the first part of the trilogy, the, the evolution of the trilogy, trilogy that I was just yeah. talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so good. I'm, I'm glad you liked it. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, you summed up my writing style, uh, probably better than I did. <laughs> I try to, I try to, I try to use humor, uh, because when people are laughing and having a good time, then they're, I think they're more receptive. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of opens the doors a little bit of the mind. Right. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's the main uh, style of writing that I've done in the fictional realm is mostly dark comedy and uh, satire and science fiction. So I saw you have the evolution trilogy um, for sale on um, Liberty under attack publications, which is Liberty under attack.com. And I'll put that link along with the show. If someone orders it through there, do you get a digital copy how does that work? Uh, that's a good question. You know, I don't have an ebook finished at this oh, time. Okay. I don't have it available in that format. However, if someone would want to contact me, uh, I can I can give you uh, an email that people could uh, contact me through. Uh, if they wanted to reach out to me and request a PDF, I would be happy to send them one. But you so do a maybe printed I can, version. I can give you. Oh yeah, the printed version is available on the that's, Under Attack. That's it's what a, if you order there, that's what you get is the paperback. You get a paperback, right? Yeah, that's yeah I, I just I assumed I it was any, the other way around. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I yeah, I I should. 
<laughs> I should. Yeah. But yeah. Right now it's a paperback. Um, perhaps in the future, I don't know. Uh, I would like to have, uh, an ebook and possibly an audio book too available. But for right now, it's just a paperback cool. that is well, available at Liberty Under Attack. But yeah, like I said, I can give you uh, an email that you can put in the show notes if you want. And if people want to reach out to me for a PDF, I'll be happy to send them one. Great. Yeah, we'll do that. Um, yeah, and, and I started thinking right away about audio because um, that's pretty much how I listen, how I read books is because I'm not a very good reader. Um, I'm good. It's don't a, get me wrong. I'm good at reading, but I'm slow and it just doesn't happen. So when I get them on audio, I'm able to get through them and do it. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I listen to audiobooks too, and it's definitely a growing trend because I, I get it. People, people are busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I do it sometimes too. I'll listen to an audiobook while I'm driving to work or whatever. So yeah, at some point in the future, I would like to get that done. But right now I have the paperback available. Awesome. Yeah. But, um, that, that's a great thing that you've gone through and done that work you know i've dreamed about writing a book and it makes me a little um it's inspiring to meet someone who's actually done it got it completed got it printed and got it on a website that's that's a heck of an accomplishment yeah well uh, thank you very much and like i said i've been doing it for about five years and Mm -hmm. it's it's been a process and there's been a learning curve and it's taken persistence, <laughs> a lot of persistence. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I'm making progress and I'm just continuing to try and do what I can uh, to bring true freedom into the world. That's that's the bottom line of why I started writing in the first place was because I I want more freedom and I want to end slavery. I mean, <laughs> that's that's the bottom line if you want to cut down to brass tacks. Yeah. So that's, well, that's why we're here. Right. And, and you, you've been doing, uh, audio. You've been doing podcasts more, which is something that I have not, uh, delved into, uh, much at all is, uh, the, uh, different aspects of content creation, doing podcasts and things like that, things like that. So, uh, you're to be commended for that. Oh, and, thanks, uh, Todd. For me, I yeah. mean, podcasts is what kind of changed my life is, you know, I was just at work doing my slave job, actually working for the government, believe it or not. And really? Wow. Yeah, I had a, I was a maintenance man at, um, the superior court. And, um, oh boy. <laughs> it was an interesting position because I would wind up, you know, in chambers yeah. and, you know, <laughs> doing jobs working right there with the sheriffs, you know, the bailiffs and stuff. And, Right. You no, know, so I really got to see the backside and the underside and all around every part of of um this machine of evil basically as I could see it now. But I right. just started plugging in my ears all the time and I was always listening to podcasts and it gave me this it opened up all these worlds to me and made me rethink about everything. So did did that process start for you while you were actually working at the courthouse? Yeah. Okay. Pretty wow. Much. That must have been really shocking. And it, it was intense. <laughs> I bet it was really intense. Yeah. Cause you know, you're walking yeah. around seeing this stuff and listening in my ear. There's Mark Passio you know? <laughs> or, or like while you're at a courthouse. Yeah. yeah. Talk about contrast, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or Larkin Rose or, you know, whoever else was on an interview, you know, freedom. right. It, 
you know, once I got into the freedom stuff, I was just like, whoa, how come no one ever told me this stuff? How come no one right. ever told me that taxes is evil and wrong? You know, how come right. no one ever that's... mentioned that, that it's, it's actually stealing, you know? Right. And then you start thinking about it and you're like, well, I never said they could do it. I never gave anyone permission. So that's stealing, right? right? And see, <laughs> you, you use logic and didn't let your emotions, uh, you know, hold you back from seeing that truth. You use logic. You said, wait a minute. That makes sense. So even though I'm working in a courthouse and you wanted that paycheck, you said, you know what? I don't know how long it took you to move on from that line of work, but it took a, you made that took decision. It took a while, but I did leave. Yeah. And it's the first time I've yeah. ever left a job without having another one. You know, I did just really? quit and I left. <laughs> and I felt pretty damn good about it, too. Okay. And yeah, I told them why. You know, <laughs> you did. Yeah. Wow. Well, one of the things um, I was going through at the time, too, was also coming to this big realization about weather engineering. And that was mm-hmm. one of the battles I was going through trying to explain to people about that. And that was kind right. of what cracked the door open. So I guess we all um, the door cracks open in different ways. And so I think, you know, the important takeaway here is if we're trying to reach other people, we never know what subject matter or which particular topic it is that's going to crack that door open for someone. So I really yeah, like the idea of using creativity. It's different for every individual, right? So yeah, that's one thing that I hope happens with, with my work is that someone's just going to be reading, oh, it's a science fiction novel. Great. I love science fiction. Yeah, They start reading it and then a seed of liberty gets planted in their head. And it might not happen that day or that year, but at some point in the future, <laughs> they might have that vague memory, you oh, know, yeah. that, that gets back to them and they go, huh, wait a minute. Where have I heard this before? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That makes sense. I remember that was in that book I read and that's, one goal that I really have with the content that I've produced up to this point. Well, I'm curious for you, like what, what were some of the things that kind of changed in your life that sort of guided you in the direction of starting getting curious about the freedom, um, volunteerism and such. What, what opened the door for you? That's a great question. And I'll go ahead and be very straightforward about this. Uh, It was a very long and <laughs> I don't want to say painful process, but looking back on it, it took much longer. I'm almost ashamed to say it took me a lot longer than I think it should have. I don't know how long it took for you, but basically I'll try to give you the short version of this story uh, just to conserve on time. When I was around 20 or 21 years old, I started learning a little bit about the so-called war on drugs. And that was kind of the first step into learning about things of this nature. But I mean, we're talking over two decades ago. I'm 42 now. (laughs) 
And I mean, I just found out what natural law was about five years ago. In yeah, almost exactly five years ago uh, in 2016, and it was. A long time and a lot of podcasts and a lot of books in between uh, that it took me to get from point A to point B. To, I mean, I was probably what you might term a minarchist for, I don't know, 15 years or something ridiculous like that, which is kind of embarrassing to say now. But, you know, everyone has their own... Uh, their own path to finding that truth. And mine was the longer <laughs> and more arduous route, but I, I got there eventually. So yeah. that's more that I can say for a lot of other people in the world who haven't quite reached that point yet. Well, that's a different, I, I don't know how long it, how long it took for you to, you know, I get a little embarrassed too. Cause when I think about it, like um, when when um September 11th occurred, I knew yeah. right when it happened that mm-hmm. there was bullshit afoot. Right. I had no doubt. I never did. I never had any doubt that that was bullshitty. I remember calling, talking to my good old friend immediately and being like, there's some kind of inside job going here. That's not how buildings blow up. You know, they, they don't just fall apart when a plane, that's just ridiculous. You could see through it. Yeah. Easily. And so right. I knew okay. right then that there was, you know, that, that it wasn't what they were saying on TV, but then it wasn't like till 10 years later when I really started getting curious and looking mm-hmm. into it, it was kind of like, I was kind of like, how come nobody's like figured out that that was bullshit yet, you know? And right. so I started doing a little research and then that was what sent me down the rabbit holes and it, you know, nine eleven was sort of the the trigger for me. And then it went from one that of the triggers. Yeah. To the, yeah. And I mean, everyone's and then, right. You know. Yeah. And you know, that was part of my, uh, you mentioned the, uh, geoengineering with the chemtrails and so forth. Yeah. And that was uh, a big part of my process as well was seeing that aspect of it. Um, but I mean, and, and eventually you, that, yeah, I go think- ahead the psychological part of that was what made me have this realization was, okay, even if I'm wrong about these theories, what people call conspiracy theories, right? Even if I'm wrong about them, one thing I know for sure is when I try to talk to people about these things, they're not being logical or reasonable. They're just shutting down on me. Right. It's like, it's not that they don't want to have, they don't, they don't want the truth either way. You know, if I'm right or wrong, they don't want to, they don't want the subject. They're afraid of the subject. And that was what really kind of like made me go, wait a second, what's going on? The, the fear, the fear kicks in. Why can't we it, talk about these things? You know, right. why can't we go back and forth and say, well, maybe depends. Let's look at the facts. Let's look at the, you know, but I, right. you start listening to these shows or you start reading a book, you know, or you start learning about the Federal Reserve, you know, and you start trying to explain someone what's going on and you just get this total like basically I don't want to talk about it don't want to hear about it don't want to know about it and change the subject and that was right. what kind of made me go whoa I'm living in a different world than 99% yeah. of the people around me yeah and that it's unfortunate because the the reaction that you're referring to it's a it's a form of uh, fear-based uh, emotional mind control 
And people are just afraid that I think part of it is laziness too, because if you realize something that important and that huge is going on, then you might feel (laughs) that you have to do something about it. And a lot of people just, unfortunately they just want to live their life, you know, go to work, watch TV, do, do the routine. They're comfortable in their routine and they don't, they don't want to have the responsibility for, uh, affecting change in the world and for, uh, realizing what really is happening all around us. Which is a good point, a good time to bring up, you know, a question that I asked, even from the time when I was like 13, 14 to people, and I've always been curious about is what's important in life. What, what really does matter? You know? Right. So I, I'll ask you that question. What do you think? Yeah. You know, if you had asked me five, 10 years ago, I would have given a, probably a much different answer. But ever since I learned about objective morality and uh, true spirituality and true freedom and how it affects me and everyone and Uh, creation itself, it boils down to the essence of creation itself. That is uh, trying to work towards true freedom and uh, doing the great work, bringing more freedom and evolution and growth, uh, doing the creator's will. Uh, That's, that's been number one in my life and on my radar for for years. And that's the main reason I started writing and doing content creation because I felt compelled to do something like I have to do something. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it, every, everyone needs to take responsibility and do what they can to, uh, to grow and to, uh, bring forth more freedom and to ultimately make, uh, growth and creation possible. Which, as I'm sure you know, Chris, uh, the opposite of creation, uh, or opposite of the creator, uh, one might term it, uh, satanic in its nature. It's evil. Um, so I'm trying to do the opposite of that. <laughs> and I'm trying to work with creation itself and to help humanity grow to, uh, a higher, uh, a higher level of freedom and a higher level of existence. Awesome. I love that answer. What's amazing is like, I would say nine out of 10 people will say, you know, if you ask them what's the most important thing in life, they're going to say to be happy or, or yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Be successful. Those were the two answers right. I got almost all the time from people. And if you think about it, they're very, very selfish kind of an answer. Um, and happiness is a very hard thing to define what, it actually is. Well, and what is success? What, right. what are they referring to? That's very subjective just in and of itself. Uh, each individual has a different conception or idea of what success is. So, uh, and another answer, a uh, common answer that you might get is, and there's nothing wrong with this. I'm not trying to downplay the importance of it. Um, a lot of people might answer their family. And that's great. 
I love my family. Family is extremely important. But mm-hmm. in in the hierarchy of needs and responsibilities, we're all responsible to do the will first and foremost in our thoughts, emotions, and actions. I'm glad you brought that up because that is true. There were a lot of people that will say that, that I've talked to too. Like there's nothing more important than my kids or, you know, I would do anything for like family, you know, that's right. But, you know, ironically enough is that if people don't realize the truth that we're talking about of object, objective morality and how it affects all of us, then what they're doing is actually negative for their family. If, if they don't understand how their actions are affecting themselves and the world around them. So it actually has negative consequences for themselves and their family, even though they might not be conscious of it. Right. It's like to give an example, uh, maybe uh, an order follower in a uniform, like a cop, he might say that his number one thing in his life, his his most important thing is his family. But what is he doing? He's causing a great amount of harm in the world just based on the nature of being a violent order follower. So <laughs> that's that's a huge contrast where you say, uh, it, you know, a cop might say one thing, he cares about his family, but then he's causing so much harm by his everyday uh, actions. But in the mainstream view, um, the average person I might talk to on this street that I live on, for instance, the, a person would think that, okay, a police officer or a cop is actually going out every day and doing good because they're helping their community and they're keeping the streets safe, right? And um, you can see that would be a standard answer that you you can see times when a police officer (laughs) is doing something that seems pretty good. You know, maybe they're um, maybe they're stopping and helping someone whose car is broken on the side of the road and they're helping them figure it out. You know, they're not always doing terrible things. What what really makes it bad or evil? You know, well, that's what people struggle with reasons. What I think it's uh, I mean, it's. It's funded by extortion. That's one of the biggest problems that I can see with it. Um, just to be very straightforward, uh, the so-called government police forces are funded by extortion, uh, euphemistically known as taxation. Stolen. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. And another uh, aspect in that regard is that basically police, whether they are intending to or not, they're kind of coercing people all day (laughs) to a certain degree. They're just driving around coercing people. Even if they're not interacting with someone face to face, even what happens when a cop passes by you when you're driving? People freeze up, they slow down, they change their behavior. Mm -hmm. He's having a fear, uh, he's causing fear in those people, regardless of whether or not he's speaking to them or, uh, you know, trying to extort them face to face. Uh, just 
his presence and everyone's knowledge, or I should say their belief that the guy in that uniform has the right to use violence and coercion against them, it automatically creates fear in them and changes their behavior. So that's, that's another negative aspect to, uh, government police. That's a good answer. And and ultimately that's what the solution is. If you don't comply with the orders that are given by someone in this costume, right? Ultimately that's going to either get fined. So they're taking your money, more stealing or put into a box, a prison of some sort or um, violently dealt with. So you don't get much of a choice. I remember actually we were talking about when I was a maintenance man at the court Right. Looking at these guys who are heavily armed and thinking to myself, why is it that that guy gets to be heavily armed? But if I were to have any of those weapons on me, I'd be a criminal, even right. if it was for good purposes. What what gives them that right? You know, well, it's given to them by authority. They, they have a special badge or um, a costume that proves that they're one of this gang and because they have this magical costume on and they've been given this magical stamp of approval by these authorities. Now all of a sudden this person has a right to be armed to the teeth. And I don't, even though we're both human beings who are born on this planet. And maybe I've been more virtuous than that person. Maybe I'm better trained with weapons than that person. You never know, but someone who's called authority chooses what's right and what's wrong. And that's the part of it that's wrong. So what, how do we, you know what people struggle with is, Without cops, how would we keep our neighborhood safe? So this is right. an opportunity to employ a little imagination. Um, how how can you imagine a world where things would be safe not using violence and fear-based tactics? How would, how would it be done? Right. That's a great question. And I don't think there's any one single answer other than that uh, it would need to be violent and nonviolent. Uh, I can give you an example from the Evolution Trilogy. Where, I was hoping you would. <laughs> yeah, basically uh, in Siagora, what it amounts to is that the people living on the ocean, they have to defend themselves against uh, order followers that they come across on the ocean, whether it be, uh, you know, Navy ships, Coast Guard, uh, drones, uh, and they have to defend themselves against that. And one way that they do it is through encrypted communications where if, for example, one of them is, uh, coming across, uh, a violent order follower on a, on a ship, maybe a Navy ship or something, other vol- volunteerists that are on that same communication channel, they will come together to their aid and try to at least evade the um, the government ship or if the government ship aggresses against any one of them, they will take the necessary measures to defend themselves. So it's kind of done in a decentralized manner. Uh, with a lot of high technology, I kind of have fun with and embellish the technology a little bit trying to imagine what it could look like. Uh, we're talking, we're talking about, uh, 50 years in the future from when we're having this conversation now, roughly 50 years in the future. 
So there's a lot of quantum encryption and uh, 3D printed uh, encrypted phones and lots of signals jamming and all sorts of cool techie stuff and techie tricks that uh, a lot of anarchists employ uh, in their defensive capabilities while living on the open ocean. So that's, um, that's probably the best example that I can give you. And that's straight out of one of my books. And I might add that it took me a while to dream that up because <laughs> it's not, it's really not easy to imagine because of the environment that we've grown up with. Yeah. And, and what makes it really tricky is we have so many people um, that have been put through trauma of all sorts because of the systems in place that we yeah. have a lot of people out there who are in really bad shape. And if you were to yeah. say implement um, a state of anarchy tomorrow, you know, um, there's a lot of people that wouldn't be ready for the transition and there would be right. problems, you know, and I think that's why people, a lot of people have a really hard time imagining what we're describing because right they haven't really experienced any little part of it. But one thing you can point out is, um, you know, day to day, there's not a police officer everywhere you go. You know, every time you get to a stop sign, there's not a police officer there making sure that you stopped, you know, um, most they, of they their interactions with other human beings, any, they don't stop any crimes. <laughs> they show up after a crime. And right. Find, and then pretend, pretend to care if you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's the end of it. They don't, they basically make the problem worse from there on out by, um, right. A bunch of extreme punishments that don't really get to the root of the problem. And most of our interactions day to day, we don't have any, anybody. It's all based on fear. Why you don't do these right. things. Right. And you know what? Um, the point you just brought up made me think of another related tangent kind of along those lines. Uh, we were talking about earlier a little bit, a little bit about how we can find more freedom in our own lives and taking right action uh, just on a day-to-day basis for ourselves. And I am constantly trying to work on this, and I'm very far from where I want to be and where I need to be, but I'm consciously making an effort to get there. And what I'm getting at is that we have to take actions that are moral. So for example, you're talking about uh, interaction with police. If I have a problem, I am not going to call the police for multiple reasons. And that is probably the most important reason because I don't want, uh, I don't want immoral, violent people in my life. Period. (laughs) So, and it's not like they're going to help me anyway, you know, Mm -hmm. as a, as a secondary point, they're not going to help me anyway. So I have multiple reasons not to call the police. Right. And to take it a step further, you know, things that we do, uh, you know, just in the, um, the way society is set up now, you know, everyone, uh, for example, pays taxes and everyone takes it for granted. It's extortion is kind of built into the system. And so I need to get better at this, but I try to consciously 
pay as little tax as possible. For example, I'm not going to pay income tax. I haven't in years. I'm not going to deal with it anymore. I made a conscious decision to do that. Another thing is you can buy things. If you can um, go to a farmer's market or something where you're just paying cash or you're using cryptocurrency and you're not being extorted with sales tax, then that's another positive step. You're, you're gaining more freedom and getting rid of a, a little bit of slavery. You're, you're making progress, basically, when you do things like that. Right. Every little step we can take in our personal lives is ultimately the solution. You know, what I talk a lot about on End Evil Productions is, you know, it's it's really a in, an inward journey that we have to take. You know, having the yeah. expectation that externally we can go out and make other people understand truth is silly. It's never going to work that way. Right. What to, we can do is change ourselves and set a right. good example for others. And so, right. you know, I think that's some of the best tips and advice we can give folks, right? Like, um, work on yourself and yeah. And don't I, be a part of stealing. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, it's an everyday, uh, conscious effort on my part to try to do better in that regard. Cause it's not easy. I'm not right. saying it's easy. <laughs> I know you know that it's not easy, but just making a conscious effort to do better and to create more freedom in our own lives, uh, that's one of the first steps that we all have to take. And I'm, I've been doing that for a few years now, and hopefully I will continue to improve in the future. I've thought of it sometimes like um, a drunk. Our society is like a drunk. You know, it's drunk on this authority. It's drunk on this um, poison of authority. And it's been doing it for so long that it's, it's really hit. We're really hitting rock bottom now. And, and what what the first part of an alcoholic's journey is to realize admit there's a problem. Exactly. That's where we're at. You know, that's a great analogy. That's true. Fix the problem until we're conscious of it. So a lot of it is what we're doing. This action that, might be hard from someone new to this movement's point of view is to see that what we're really doing by talking about subjects of truth and freedom is we're becoming conscious. We're helping one another become aware of how to discuss these things and getting that conversation going and, and in and more in the public's eye, hopefully. And now in these early stages of people waking up to this truth of volunteerism and the principles of true freedom, because there, there aren't honestly that many people who have this knowledge of natural law out in the world. So what you're doing, what I've been doing, what a growing number of people are doing is what you were referring to is trying to get out there and communicate with people and to at least give them an opportunity uh, through Uh, content creation for them to see, to realize the same beautiful truth that is uh, true creation and true freedom. And there is, I would say um, I've experienced 
some happiness along the way. Um, it's fulfilling. There, there, you know, I, I really feel like it, it feels good to be right, you know, and there's a lot of times in life where I haven't been able to be right about things, but there's certain things I've come to realize that you can be right about certain things, you know, that you can align with truth and know the difference between something that's right and not right. And when you feel really good and confident about that, it, it builds confidence in, in a different yeah, way absolutely. that I never had when I was younger, you know? Yeah. And, you know, one thing for me regarding uh, content creation is that it's been very fulfilling just on an internal uh, kind of spiritual level because I can really feel that I'm doing the right thing. You know, when all is said and done, you know, at some point I'm going to pass out of this body and away from this earth. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, people can look back at my life and say, Hey, you know what? This guy, we know what he stood for. He aligned himself with truth. He worked towards freedom. He did the will of the creator and tried to evolve and help humanity. Right. And that's, uh, that's a good feeling. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm very happy that I've had the opportunity, uh, to, you know, to realize, uh, true freedom and to go out and do the great work. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad to have found your work and I'm looking forward to, um, digging into it more. I'm curious, do you have, I know right now you said, you, you said you spent, um, five years or so working on just putting, putting together all this writing. Um, right. Do you have something, another project you're working on now? Or are you more concentrated now on promoting it or is yeah, you got something in the works? I was so focused on just creating, uh, as much content as possible, uh, while I had the opportunity, um, I had, I had some time, I had some resources and so, to produce as much as I could uh, while I had the opportunity. But now, really, I'm more focused on trying to promote the work that I have done. I I don't really have anything in the works right now, although occasionally I, ideas pop into my head, and I'm like, oh, I wish I had time to write this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I've, due to my circumstances and a lot of what I have going on right now, I I can't really do it at the moment, even though I do, I do love it. Yeah. Right now I'm just trying to focus on promoting what I've already done. Awesome. Well, I hope, I hope this show helps a little bit on that, um, endeavor, you know, maybe a few more people, a whole bunch more in the future will, you know, see us having this great conversation and be inspired to go check out your work. Um, so absolutely. I, I want to thank you again for the opportunity and, uh, I think I, did you check out my website? I just put, got a website up. Um, no, last year. what's the website? Let's, um, talk to people about it's, that. It's my name. It's, it's toddboro.com. So okay. maybe you can put a link in the show notes. I'll, I'll send you the link. Yeah. B O R H O. But yeah, we'll put the link. Correct. Todd Boro. Yeah. And I have a lot of free content on there. And uh, I've also dabbled a little bit in doing some animations <laughs> and oh, awesome. a little bit of music uh, that I did in the past. So 
there's a lot of interesting and free content on my website. And if they want to support me by getting a, a paperback, um, I, I have a, a link to Liberty Under Attack where they can get the Evolution Trilogy on there as well. Great. Right on. Yeah, I'll definitely, you know, share those links along with wherever I, um, post this. I'll post it on my website and put all the links right there underneath it. Great. And, um, yeah, great, great conversation. And I'm really glad we, uh, connected tonight and had, and, um, get these ideas going and absolutely get my brain going was, and get my imagination going. Yeah. It feels, it feels really good to, uh, talk about these things and to have a good conversation like this. So yeah, thank you again for the opportunity. I enjoyed it. Um, before we finish up, I was thinking of one more little example and, um, like a tangent, I guess it's sort of a tangent, but I moved at one point to, um, I grew up in California in, um, okay. San Jose, pretty busy city. Yeah. And, and when I was, um, 18, 19, I moved out to Pennsylvania. And one thing I noticed out there, which really blew me away, there's a lot of places where people don't have fences. Like it's just one big lawn. Right. And then yeah. that lawn turns into the neighbor's lawn. And it just keeps yeah, going. And there's another house yeah. out there. You know, and, yeah. and to me, that's sort of a good example of the possibility of imagine in a world where everybody has fences. It seems impossible to live without fences. How would, how would we live without fences, right? But you go right. right over there and there's people living just fine without fences. It's really not that big a deal. They don't need them. So maybe that's it's the same example. thing with so many other things we talk about, like police and military and borders. Right. We don't need them. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, it's just people have it in, in their head that that's, that's it how it's always be been. That and way, that's, yeah. It has to be that way. And they get stuck in that lack of imagination. And, uh, yeah, you end up with a lot of, uh, well, illegitimate fences called borders. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we'll leave, we'll leave folks with that thought, you know, engage your imagination. And, uh, be creative and try to imagine a different world that, that, that is not full of evil. That's not about, um, the destruction of freedom. That's about the creativity of life and the wonder of life and, uh, being human. Well said. Absolutely. So thanks a lot, Todd. Um, appreciate you coming and we'll, we'll have to talk again. All right. Thank you so much. All right.